Welcome and thank you for listening to River Valley Church Fresno's podcast. For more information on us, please log in to our website, rvcfresno.com, or you can find us at the App Store, River Valley Church Fresno. Hey, welcome to RVC Online. We are so glad you joined us today. Uh, we are beginning for the next four weeks a brand new series in the book of Jonah. Now, a lot of people think the book of Jonah is kind of an allegory or, you know, it's a, a, a parable or a life lesson. Um, it's one of those stories that seems a little fishy for people, kind of hard to swallow. Right now, we're waiting for our drum beat to say, but up. But it is a real prophet who experienced real situations, and ultimately there's so many lessons that are packed in this book. Uh, A lot of critics would say that Jonah, yeah, that it is an allegorical story, a parable, or it's meant to be a life lesson, but it isn't real events that took place. Uh, even well-meaning Christians will have that kind of uh, perspective that, you know, how, how can it, a, a human really be swallowed up by a fish? And, you know, maybe this isn't what it was meant to be. Yet Jonah is a historical figure that we read about in the Old Testament. Second Kings chapter 14, verse 25 tells us that he was a faithful prophet. Both Jonah and Jesus were from the region of Galilee. Uh, and his experience with the great fish that swallowed him up, as well as the repentance of Nineveh, are confirmed by Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 12, you know, Jesus said that Jonah was to be a sign for Israel. The sign was that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, that the Son of Man would be the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, speaking of his death and resurrection. And you know, one of the things as a, as a follower of Christ, and as you read your Bible, and you come across things in the scriptures that are like miraculous, and you wonder like, is that really true? Did that really happen? If you, if you believe the first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, then there's nothing that is impossible, not only including the story of Jonah and him being swallowed by a fish that we read about next, actually the end of today, but also the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the miracle of his resurrection so that you and I might have hope of eternal life. You know, in Jonah, we said that it's packed with lessons, it's packed with uh, important things that we need to know about who God is, about how uh, we are to be as his people in this world. Um, what we learn in Jonah is that God is concerned not only just about the work, the, the message of the good news to go out to the lost, but God's concerned about the worker. God, uh, really, this, this book is about Jonah, the prophet, and how God works in his heart and wants to work in our hearts. It's also, it gives us a perspective about the heart of God and the heart of man. The heart of God is filled with compassion. The heart of man, uh, the, the wickedness of sinners, as well as uh, Jonah himself, the pride and the prejudice that he has against the Assyrians that God was calling him to go and proclaim judgment is coming. Well, today we're looking at the running prophet. He's a runaway prophet today, and today Jonah is running from everything that God wants to do through his life. And we begin in chapter one of Jonah. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. 
So he paid the fare, he went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So here we see, first of all, running from God's will. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. I want you to go to that great city. And it's interesting, God always has a message to proclaim. He wanted to use Jonah to proclaim it to uh, the, the Ninevites. He's given you and I a message to proclaim. Go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19. And in verse 2, we read that it's a great city. It, the, Nineveh was the capital Siri, uh, city excuse me, of Assyria. That was the world power at the time. They were a superpower uh, in the world. And we read that, that the reason why God wanted to send Jonah is because God loved the city. Uh, he loved the people. And I think that Jonah's heart arose, and certainly the Israelites during that time. Why, God? Why would you want to give them an opportunity to have a change of heart? Uh, have you been around them? Do you know what they do? Of course, the answer is yes. God knows all things, right? So Jonah, instead of obeying and going where God told him to go, Jonah runs away. He essentially gives his resignation. God, I'm no longer going to be a prophet of yours. I am dipping. I am bailing out of here. Why was that? Well, there are two reasons that we can uh, kind of gather as we read through the whole uh, story of Jonah, especially in chapter 4. One is his hatred for the Assyrians. Uh, Jonah had a disdain for them. Jonah is a nationalist, right? He didn't see why God wanted to extend mercy to the enemies of Israel. Jonah wanted them hurt. He wanted them to be punished and not helped by the Lord. Uh, the Assyrians at this time, they were working towards the destruction of his own country, Israel, and eventually they would take them into captivity. Uh, they were known for such cruelty to uh, their captives. In fact, uh, it's recorded that many cities would commit mass suicide to avoid being captured by the Assyrians. It's not just his hatred or disdain for the Assyrians, but it was also his love for his nation, the nation of Israel. He had this national pride. They were the enemies of Israel. Perhaps this could jeopardize his, uh, his popularity as a prophet in Israel, uh, going to the enemy and proclaiming judgment, and, and perhaps they might actually turn and, and respond to God's word. Uh, Jonah doubted the goodness of God. I think that that's something that we see from the beginning of Scripture, uh, that we have doubts about God's goodness, and, and if I really follow through and obey Him, is anything good going to come to me, right? God, why would you, God, if you're so good, why would you give them a chance, the ones who want our destruction, why would you give them a chance to turn and experience grace and mercy? So Jonah resents this idea that God's grace could be given to them. Right? He wasn't going with a message of approval. Hey, God approves of who you are. No, it says that their evil had risen to God. But it was to go with the message of judgment. But Jonah knew that that might be an opportunity for them to repent. And so here Jonah is filled with this pride. He, he has this hatred or disdain for the Assyrians. He has this love for Israel, his own nation. And we see that it's just, it's just pride. He thinks that him, he, he thinks that the nation of Israel, that they're the ones who deserve God's grace and mercy and nobody else. The others don't. Forgetting that he himself is a recipient as an Israelite. He's the recipient of God's mercy and grace 
uh, not because they were worthy or that they had done such great things that God decided to reach down to them and lead them and call them his own, but it was because of mercy and grace. Isn't that funny? That here Jonah, he resents the idea that someone else would receive mercy, though he himself enjoys the very mercy and the grace that he's received that the nation of Israel has received from God himself. You know, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That there is no one good, no, not one. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter three. Uh, He resented that that God's heart was a a heart of grace towards the ones he didn't want to receive grace. Yet we read in the Bible, Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. All of us have sinned. All of us have broken God's commands None of us deserve God's mercy, and yet Jonah wanted to make sure that others didn't get it. That's why he's running from the call of God. You know, we become like Jonah in so many ways in our lives, right? When we create a category of this group of people that are kind of beyond God's reach, or we're not willing to extend a hand to personally help them because they feel like they're outside of our, our, our group, if you would, that I'm comfortable helping them. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable seeing them come to know God and his mercy and his grace. You know, to put this in perspective, what God was asking Jonah to do right here would be like asking a a Jew in New York City during World War II to go to Germany and proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's essentially what, uh, you know, what Jonah was being asked. You kind of get the the sense that you as a nation want our destruction and actually are, are, are working towards, you know, the Holocaust, killing millions of my people, and yet God wants me to go and proclaim judgment, and they may turn? That's why Jonah was running, right? Many of us, I think we struggle. We might be just like Jonah in so many ways. When, when we, get, we get frustrated at God's willingness to accept and welcome the Assyrians of our lives, right? Well, God wants to break through Jonah's uh, prejudices. He wants to break through our religious prejudices. uh, And he wants to show us what the gospel is. This is what the gospel is and does. The gospel is for all sinners, right? Uh, Here we are two weeks or a week, I guess, away from an election. A couple days away from an election if you're watching this. right, You might be watching this right now and you already know who won. Here's Jason and I. We have no idea who's going to win the election. God does. That's the good news. But, but the gospel is for sinners, uh, red voting sinners, blue voting sinners, atheists, religious people, right? America's um, enemies, America's allies. The gospel is for all people. And that's what Jonah became frustrated at. And that's why he decided to bail. As believers, I think that there's a great lesson here in Jonah. As believers, we should accept and love our neighbor, including our neighbor, who's different than us, whether that be their race, belief, religion, nationality. Uh, 
You know, I grew up during the 80s, so I grew up, grew up during the Cold War period. And, uh, and so we grew up un- with this understanding, like, the Russians are the worst people, right? Then Rocky IV came out, and we're like, you know, man, beat the Russian, you know what I mean? There's Rockies drinking egg whites, the Russian, they've got steroids, it's just, you know, this, this kind of Goliath, you know what I mean, David kind of scenario. But I remember the feeling I felt like, man, uh, this is kind of a weird time to be growing up, like, and there's this, you could, this tense feeling, you know what I mean? Uh, and yet, um, when you look at that, you realize that, that God cares for every single person. I mean, I think we can all have a kind of sense of like, man, I don't know if I would feel comfortable with going and sharing with that group of people because I, I'm sort of built in my, my kind of culture to have a disdain for them. And that could be any reason at all. Uh, God cares, by the way, how you and I view people and treat people different than us, vote different than us, and believe different than us. We can get a little closer. How about, does the gospel that you and I proclaim, are you okay with God reaching those who've hurt you or maybe hurt someone that you love deeply? Uh, You know, how could God give them mercy when they've done such horrible things to me, right? Uh, There's a lot of people, including people in the church and maybe that are watching right now. I want you to know that the gospel is this. The gospel provides healing for the broken and abused, but it provides forgiveness for the offender and the abuser. Isn't that crazy? Like God's got this ability to heal the broken, but also to forgive the broken and the ones who are the abusers, the offenders. Of course, there's accountability. Of course, that people have to own up to what they've done, but God is willing to forgive all who come to him. And so it's this strong disdain for them that led to his rebellion and to run from God's call. And what you see is Jonah, he found a way to escape and to run away from God. The next we see uh, from the text is that he's really trying to run from God's presence. He runs from God's call. No, I'm not going to go there. And two, I'm running from God's presence. Three times we read in this chapter that he's running from the presence of God. In verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. I want some space, Jonah would say. I want to get away from the presence of God. He runs to Tarshish, runs away to Tarshish. It's interesting. It's the opposite direction of Nineveh. So if God said, hey, I want you to go to Sacramento, it would be like you saying, you know what? I'm going to go to L.A. That's exactly what Jonah was doing. I don't want to follow God's uh, call to go and preach, and I certainly don't want to be around God anymore in this moment. Uh, Joppa, interesting town. Joppa was the, this famous city, uh, in, at least in the Bible, because now here's where Jonah goes and gets on a boat to leave a w- run away from the presence of God. But it's also the same city that, that Peter was in. And it was kind of the same kind of issue that was, God was dealing with with uh, the heart of his people. Uh, uh, God 
Peter was in a, had a little moment of just a vision. He saw a sheep being let down from heaven, and there was all these unclean animals that he as a Jew could never eat. Uh, and so these three little piggies go by, right? And then God says, Peter, rise up and kill and eat. And he's like, man, I, I heard bacon tastes great, but man, I'm a Jew. I would never eat something unclean. Three times God said to him, do not call common what God has made clean. And in that moment, Peter recognized because the church was just Jewish by nature. And they were wondering, how can these non-Jews, these Gentile dogs is what they would really call them, all of us who are non-Jewish with all of our different idols and all of our different gods and all of our different crazy belief systems, here they believed in the one true God, they had the law, the Messiah came from the nation of Israel, right? But they were to go and proclaim the gospel, the good news to all nations, but it hadn't happened yet. And so here's Peter has this aha moment. If God accepts them, why shouldn't we accept them? How did the Gentiles get saved? People would ask the same way a Jew gets saved by faith in God and by the grace of Jesus Christ bestowed upon those who call upon him by faith. You know, that as, as Jonah wanted to bail out, Sometimes when you want to like, oh, I don't want to obey God, sometimes circumstances that seem set up, oh, maybe this is really what I need to do, right? Uh, The devil always has a boat for you to get on. The devil always has the fare to pay to get on that boat as long as you want to run away from the presence of God. It's, it's, not, it's not circumstances like, oh gosh, this must be what I need to do because gee, everything's lining up right now. You know, I've heard in the past from people that say like, oh my gosh, but this girl, she really gets me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they, we just have such a connection. Uh, man, if only we had met each other, you know what I mean, in, in a different time in our life and then we would have got married instead of marrying the wrong people. Like that legitimately happens. Listen, how foolish. Of course Satan's got, you know, all these circumstances. Oh, this, this person really understands me, my spouse. Listen, if you had met in a different lifetime, you would have screwed up that marriage too because you're, putting, you're, you're not putting effort into that marriage. You want to run from God, Satan will give you all the tools that you need to bail out, right? But don't look at circumstances as like, Well, this must be what I'm supposed to do next because it worked out perfectly for Jonah until that big storm (laughs) arose in the sea. Jonah, just because you leave church, just because you try to run from God, you're not going to get very far because you cannot escape the great love of God. I'm so grateful for that in my life. No matter how hard you try to run from God, God will always be on your trail and he will always get you to come back because of his great love for you and I. And he sees where we're headed, man, where the decisions that we're making, this rebellious decision on Jonah's part, it's going to bring about a massive storm, not only in his life, but the repercussions in other people's lives as well. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit, David said. I can never get away from your presence. So here we see in verse four, this divine intervention, but the Lord, I love that part of the story. He hurled a mighty storm, a mighty wind, and he brought these seasoned sailors to their knees in fear. God did this. 
Every act of disobedience in your life and in my life, it has a storm attached to it. These sailors knew that this was God. They knew that it wasn't uh, just a natural storm that had arisen. They wouldn't have been this scared, but they knew as supernaturally um, empowered the storm was, and that's what frightened them. And where's Jonah? He's He went down to Joppa, and now he went down to the center of the boat, and there he is asleep. What a picture of a backslidden follower of Christ. Backsliding is always a downer. Down, down, down. Disobedience comes, and if you part there, if you're just like, you know what, I'm not budging, God. I'm going to keep making this decision. You will always try to escape reality. You won't deal with reality. You'll avoid people who want to talk to you about what you're doing. You'll avoid conversations. You won't be a part of you know, a believer's life and be at church. You won't open your Bible. And you'll try to escape sleep, numb, amusement, whatever it is. That's what Jonah's doing right here. And every step away from God is a step downward, away from joy, away from peace, away from blessing. And when you and I take steps away from God, away from his best for our life, away from him, you know, in disobedience, we're the ones who are missing out. That step, by the way, will take you farther than you were willing to go, right? Farther than you intended. And it will cost you and cause more problems than you ever could have anticipated. And in that moment, man, none of it registers for Jonah, nor for the rest of us. Other people felt it. His disobedience now caused a little bit of mess in these sailors' lives, right? Uh, They're praying, Jonah's sleeping. And then in verse 6, it's like, hey, awake up, sleeper, to get a rebuke from the world. Wake up and pray for us, for we perish, that's an interesting word that they would use that there. Uh, the, the, the same idea and concept, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. That's the message that Jonah had, that believe in this God and, and turn your life to him and you won't perish. And here they are saying, prophet, would you pray? Because we're perishing. We don't want to perish. Jonah is uh, not aware, but he finds out that as he runs away from God's call, he's running away from God's presence. He's running right into God's incredible mercy. Check this out in verse seven. It says, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. We want to figure out who caused this problem, right? That we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. Then they said to him in verse 11, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Notice this. He takes responsibility. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord 
Here they are calling out to the one true God, Jonah's God, who he's disobeying and running from right now. And they call out to Yahweh and they say, Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from raging, raging like a light switch from light to dark. All of a sudden the sea calmed down. And then what happened next is the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Did God send that storm to punish Jonah? No, God's discipline always isn't, it's not from a heart of anger. It's not from a heart of rage, but it's from a heart of mercy. And it's from a heart of love. It's not to get us back from what you did, but to truly get us back to him, right? Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. If we go shopping, you go to Target and you hear a little kid that's just like just rambunctious, not listening to his mom or dad, and you just kind of like, hey, hold up, man. You go to aisle 11, like, are you going to spank that kid? Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm done raising kids. I don't know if people spank anymore or whatnot, but you want to like take his iPad away. You grab that iPad, like, oh, you got generation eight? You little spoiled brat, right? Uh, you're going to give him a timeout? Do something. Why don't you go? Why am I not compelled to go and actually, you know, spank that child? I want to know why? Because it's not my kid. God disciplines his own children. You wonder why? Oh, why does my coworker get away with this? Well, your coworker doesn't belong to God. God disciplines us. He loves us, right? It proves that we belong to him, that he allows storms to rise up that are attached to our disobedience. It's not to get us back, but it's to bring us back into a, a, a healthy relationship where we can receive his joy and peace and blessing once again in our lives. Sometimes God intervenes in our life through the pain of our decisions, the storms, if you would, of our decisions. Luke chapter 15, the younger brother squandered all of his father's inheritance away, and it was, wasn't until he began to be in need that he actually, his, his own hunger, physical hunger, man, and, and, and discomfort for where he had to sleep at night when he realized, like, I got to go back to my father's house. Sometimes God allows the pain to get, you know, more intensified in our life, the storm to get more tempestuous, as we see in Jonah's life, to get us back to that place where we're actually back on track with the Lord. Jonah was found out. He gives witness, right? Hey, I am a believer in the God of of Israel. You know, I'm a Hebrew, right? The God who created the, the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea. And they said to him, why have you done this? Isn't it interesting? Sometimes the world will rebuke us saying, hey, that's not something a Christian should be doing, right? A Christian should be more loving. A Christian should be more trusting. A Christian should be you know, more like Jesus. And so sometimes that rebuke comes from the world uh, and they wonder why a Christian would do things that would dishonor God and harm other people. Well, it's a good rebuke 
Because sin always has a ripple effect. And the ones closest to us, like the ones in the ship, they're the ones who feel it the most. Backsliding always affects other people. You can't just think like, well, I can make my own decisions as a dad or a mom or a kid or a brother or you know, a believer, and it's not going to have an effect. The, the more responsibility you have, the, the greater the effect, right? But it, you can't think that your decisions of, to disobey God are not going to have its effect on other people that you were close to. It's essentially saying like, dude, get right with God. Get right with God, Jonah, because your decisions are now affecting other people. When you're out of fellowship with the Lord, when I'm out of fellowship with the Lord, you're no longer leaning on him. You're no longer, you know, uh, spending time with him. You start to become the person that you don't want to be. Have you noticed that? You, you become more selfish. It creeps back in your life. Destructive choices emerge again. You become critical of other people because you're no longer close to the God of grace and mercy. The prophet should be reflecting the heart of God instead of the selfish behavior behavior, which was, I'm going to run away. I'm going to go to sleep. You guys are praying, but I'll do nothing for the common good of everybody on this ship. And here he gets rebuked. He tells them, they say, what should we do? Hey, throw me over. Starts to take responsibility, which was part of the sign that Jesus said. The sacrifice of Jonah for, because of his sin uh, becomes this picture of Jesus who was sacrificed because of all of our sin, right? As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, after he sacrificed his life on the cross, would be buried for three days and three nights, and he would physically rise from the dead. Jonah was cast over for his sins, Jesus for other people's sins. The irony is that Jonah was willing to let pagans in Nineveh uh, perish but they're not willing to let him perish. So they start rowing harder, right? Sometimes non-Christians can actually be more Christ-like than even those in the church, and that's a sad judgment. So finally, they come to their senses, dude, this ain't gonna work. Sorry, Lord, please forgive us. Uh, It feels like that you're doing this. They toss Jonah over the side of the boat. Two times within three days, uh, Jonah gets hurled. Once from the side of the boat, the other out of the mouth of the fish that we'll read about next week. The sailors have a radical experience. You know, this is after the emotional roller coaster of the, you know, the, the big storm. After the storm's over, that's when they're like, okay, he's the God, the one true God, and they begin to follow Yahweh. They have a genuine conversion experience. Jonah was, though, giving up on himself. Just throw me over. Giving up on God. But God wasn't giving up on Jonah. He prepared a great fish, which is a miracle. And here now, Jonah realizes that it was God's mercy as he was running from his call, running from God's presence, and he ran right into the mercy of God. The moment Jonah hit the water, the mercy of God reached up in that fish's mouth and swallowed him up and wasn't going to let Jonah perish. But Jonah was going to learn some lessons in the next three days about the heart of God, his mercy for this nation and city that he wanted him to go preach to, as well as Jonah himself, the disobedient prophet. You know, some great lessons in this this chapter. There's a couple I want you to think about right now. One of them is this. Is there any area of your heart Anywhere, anywhere, any area of your life today that you're resisting the Lord. You're running from something that he's calling you to do, and yet you continue to say, you know what, Lord, no, not yet. No, not at this time. No, God, I'm not going to give this up. 
Just know this, like Jonah's story, every disobedience has a storm attached to it. If the Lord is calling you to make a decision today, if the Lord is calling you to, uh, to, to, to leave something behind and to move forward to something that he has for you, an area of your life of obedience, to go and forgive someone that needs to be forgiven, to go and uh, you know, do something that he's calling you to do, man, take that step forward. Learn from Jonah's story and don't go running from his call upon your life, right? Get right with the Lord today. Here's another one. Do you resent the idea? I want to challenge our prejudices. I want to challenge our, our selfish pride that we think we deserve God's grace, but there's somebody else in this world, in this life, that does not deserve it. Do you resent the idea that God may show grace and mercy to someone that you think doesn't deserve it? Can I encourage you right now? Let it go. You do not deserve God's grace and mercy I do not deserve God's grace and mercy. The moment you and I, as my, uh, one of my brothers often says, we get downwind from ourselves and we realize that the stench that we smell actually is coming from us. And you realize that, man, it is miraculous God, grace that has saved you. That's when you realize that, you know what, who am I to say to God, no, God, they don't deserve it when we ourselves don't deserve that. You thank God for his mercy and his grace for your life, and you recognize that we all deserve God's grace and judgment and wrath. If you're in that spot, man, I want to encourage you, repent. God, I'm sorry that I would ever ask you or have a feeling that to withhold grace from someone that you want to extend it to. Pray for him, by the way. Pray for him that person, it might be that Jesus wants you to actually reach that person that you think doesn't deserve God's grace in your life. It might be a family member. It might be an old friend. Running uh, doesn't always, uh, as we think about this last little thought, running always uh, running, (laughs) running doesn't always happen as fast as it did for Jonah here. Sometimes Running is like it, we start to drift a little bit. We start to, um, you know, maybe get away from God's presence, a little less time in God's word, a little less time seeking after him. Uh, and you start to slowly drift away from the Lord and you're running from the presence of God. Let me encourage you right now. Wake up. Come back to him. Come back to that understanding that it's only uh, in Jesus, are you going to find fulfillment that you are looking for? Jason and I were just having this conversation before today's recording. Is that, you know, we all want peace. We all want joy. We all want satisfaction in life. It doesn't come from direct pursuit. Like, oh, this thing or this relationship, that's really going to give me what I need. Listen, it's only in him and relationship with him. And so if you've been drifting and, run, and, and slowly running away from your relationship with God, man, today, get back to that place where you're back on track doing the things that you know will help you grow, spending time in God's word, spending time talking to him with God's people, whether that's in some kind of, you know, form of socially distanced time with God's people, but just get back on that place where you're actually moving in a direction with the Lord again. You know, we're going to learn from Jonah. We got to have his heart 
his heart for a lost and broken world around us and God's gonna do some work in Jonah's heart and it's gonna challenge our own prejudices. We need to have the same heart that God has for humanity, which is uh, none of us deserve God's grace, but man, we wanna see the world saved around us. And you know, when we think about the story of Jonah, Jonah's gonna go take a message of judgment to the, to the nation of Assyria, uh, to the city of Nineveh. And, and what's so crazy is that as soon as they change, well, spoiler alert, as soon as they hear that message, they begin to turn and repent. And, and, and that's the great lesson of Jonah is that God's grace, his, his incredible grace is extended to anyone who would choose to turn to him. And maybe today as we wrap this up, maybe you're watching and you're saying, you know what? I want a relationship with God. Maybe you've been going to church. Maybe you've been watching this, this, this service. Maybe you have actually just jumped on to YouTube today and you just caught our message. I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that he has a plan for you, but it begins with you surrendering your heart to him. What does it look like for me to become a Christian? Uh, it, it looks like this. You realize that you're a sinner, that you too have broken God's commands, just like all the people in the world, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It looks like you uh, recognizing that Jesus died for you on the cross personally for your sins. Uh, The Bible says that God made him who never sinned to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It means you repent of your sin. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I've been living my life this way. I'm gonna do a 180. I'm gonna say what, I'm gonna call sin what you call sin and I'm not gonna uh, allow that to be a part of my life any longer and I'm gonna go in your direction and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. The Bible says that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You just, man, you get on your knees today. You tell God, God, I'm sorry for my sin. God, I want you to come into my life. God, I I choose to follow you. God, I believe in you. Whoever believes in the Lord won't perish, but they will have eternal life. Lord, make me a new person today. It's not magical words. It's your heart that God is looking at right now. You say, God, I want to turn from my sin, and God, I want to turn my life over to you. The Bible says that Christ will come into your life, and he'll make you a new person. For all who are in Christ, they are a new creation. That's what the Bible teaches us. And today, if you prayed that prayer, you prayed and you got on your knees, man, reach out to us so we can send you some tools, a Bible, a little booklet that will just help you kind of understand what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Hey, God bless you. Um, We're gonna be here next week, same time, same channel. We'll be having a great day. We'll be looking at Jonah chapter two, where we're looking at Jonah praying and receiving God's grace and mercy. God bless you guys.